Welcome, everyone, to Curious Church Podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, 2020. 2020. Here we are. <laughs> you know what I think a good motto for this year would be? Here we are. Or uh, we're back. Uh, I think we should retire we're back. Okay. <laughs> we're at a point with we're back where we have to either retire it or lean into it big time until it comes back around again. Yeah, I feel like maybe it's time to retire it. Okay. I'm ready. New, new I'm ready. decade, new us. Here's my here's my idea. I'm probably I'm sure probably like everybody has stolen this already. Slogan for 2020. Hindsight is 2020. Oh my gosh. <laughs> dad joke. No, no, no. That it's feels not like a, a total dad Okay, joke. it is a little bit of a I mean in, in terms of its strict like punniness, but it is Kind of clever if you think about it a little bit. Try um, it. Okay, let me think about it. Okay, everybody is going to think about 2020. it for 2020. 2020 yeah. is the year. That's why 2020 is in the saying. That's only, well, that's just a coincidence. What, what, what's the hindsight have to do with it? Yeah. Is it because exactly. it's an election year? Is that what you're saying? No, this is not a political oh, thing. Okay, it's not a political <laughs> thing. Not, not, not an electoral thing. I thought maybe you were starting a campaign right here. <laughs> now, just think about it. Hindsight. Hindsight, hind legs. Hindsight is this year. This year is hindsight. What? Exactly, Matt. Do we know what hindsight is? <laughs> is it hindsight looking back? Sure. I'm, I'm so confused. <laughs> I'm so confused. Listeners, I know you get it, so uh, it doesn't really matter if Matt's on board or not. So thank you, everybody, for enjoying <laughs> Please the email slogan curiouschurch of... <laughs> at grandsprings.org if you understand what Aaron is talking about. Please email me and tell me how much you love it and uh, how much you get it, and uh, just keep you know, hoping Matt catches on. It's fine. Hey, we should, speaking of we're back, though, yeah. we should welcome our guest. She's in the top five spouses that have been on this program. Is that fair to say? Sure, yeah. Okay. I mean, I would, I would rank her very highly. <laughs> uh, to date, uh, this is, well, she was on the Christmas episode yeah. that everyone ate up, yep. like so much stuffing and yep. turkey at, over their Christmas dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's back for a more serious conversation at some point. Right. Rachel, Tim's, welcome. Thank you. Yes. Good to be back. Thunderous applause, Rachel. Welcome back. What a welcome. <laughs> what a welcome. Well, this is really the, um, this is sort of the, of, of the trilogy, because Sam, we had Kelly on, actually before they were married, but that's okay. Mm. Was a little scandalous. We'll still, yeah, yeah, I don't we'll, know if we we'll count, count that. It maybe. Yeah. And then we've had Jelaine on. Sure. And now, of course, we're having Rachel on. So yeah. we're really trying to give people a good sense of our better the best possible version. Like the better version of the podcast is one with Kelly, Rachel, and Jelaine. Oh yeah. But none of the none of the listeners ever get that no. podcast. So <laughs> that's for premium subscribers yeah, only. Premium. If you subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> yeah, go yeah. to our Patreon. <laughs> you, you can get the uh, podcast you actually want. I feel like I'm getting Patreoned to death. I mean I'm not doing a lot of them or anything, but uh they are everywhere, it seems like. That's a lot. Hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Really. Think about it. This is a segment called I Like It, where, you know, new listeners, if you think new year, new listeners. Kick the decade off with some positivity. Yeah. People, well, I'm also thinking people are coming on board for the first time. They're like, I'm going to, one of their new year's resolutions might be. I'm going to listen to Curious Church Podcast. (laughs) Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Is that your I like it? No, that's not. Okay. Another one. Okay. Well, for those new listeners just subscribing, this is a segment where we talk about things that we like. Totally. One thing in particular. Yes. Each okay. of us brings a thing okay. to share. Uh, so uh, who wants to start? Let's do guests first. Yes. Great. <laughs> you got to go all Been in. Been thinking Rachel. about it for weeks. Oh, good. My I like it for this season is the seasonal milkshake at Chick-fil-A. What, what makes it seasonal? What flavor is it? So most recently, it has been the peppermint chocolate chip milkshake. Okay. But then it's a limited time, so it goes away. So you got to jump on it. Okay. And then in the summer comes around peach, which is also delicious. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, that does sound good. And those are the only two I am aware of. So if listeners know of something more, some deep Chick-fil-A secret, I would love to know. You you are related by marriage to someone who works at Chick-fil-A. Yes, and this is partly why I love it, because... I am easily fed my addiction. 
So Matt's brother, youngest brother Joel, works at Chick Fil A. Oh, oh I thought up. you were talking about yourself. I don't no, know. No, I no. thought maybe you no, had no, uh, no. your moonlighting. <laughs> yeah. Chick Fil A, ah, pastor by day, Chick Fil A <laughs> drive-through <laughs> operator by night. <laughs> no, this, this is a shout out to Joel. Yep, Matt's little brother who's this, never listened to an episode of this podcast. Maybe oh, that will be his 2020 resolution. We, we as can, it should be. As it should be. I think we should keep him off. Keep him of off listening. The that way we can still keep talking about keep him. Talking about no him. consequence. <laughs> Yeah. Does he hook you up when you go? Yes. That sounds nice. The best part is, is that Matt's parents will go and he does not hook them up. But somehow, Uh. (laughs) maybe because we are deemed as still young and poor, we get hooked up all the time, which is great. Yeah. It it might have something to do with like their orders are maybe bigger, but whatever the case might be. Right. Being a vegetarian at Chick-fil-A does not lend itself to the whole menu. Oh, what can you get there? Uh, Milkshakes. Fries, mac and cheese, which is new. Oh, they have mac and cheese. Oh, it's delicious. Okay. Side salad. That's about it. Huh. But, you know, that can get you pretty far. All right. People love it. I've never been. People love it, though. You have never been to Chick-fil-A? No. Oh, boy. I'm getting <laughs> stared. No, I mean, it's not daggers stared it's... upon me. Yeah. It is literally within walking distance from That's both true. of our households. <laughs> That's true. I know people like it. I'm sure it is good. I just haven't yeah, it's good. been there. It is very good, especially yeah. in the fast food realm. For a vegetarian, it ranks pretty high because there are options. I would not have guessed there would be options for you, but that's good that there are. Because it's got chick right in the name. Right. Eating all the well, little Well, that's more about women than, <laughs> uh, than chicken. It is most certainly not. Matt, what were some of your New Year's resolutions for 2020? Make more inappropriate jokes. <laughs> put your foot in your mouth less. He's on a roll, let me tell you, folks. With my wife on the podcast. Um, I like the seasonal shake. That's good. I remember the like the, fr- the first big seasonal dessert I remember at fast food, in fast food world, is uh, the shamrock shake. Yes, mm. which was also delicious. Yeah. Is that still a thing? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh-huh. They come out with that. So, okay. Rachel, I have a question. Is it that you... I've never been to McDonald's, so I don't know. Oh, no, just my. kidding. I have been <laughs> to McDonald's. But... That's in your contract for the podcast to at least go to McDonald's. Uh, I'm curious whether it is the particular flavor of shake or whether it is the concept of seasonal shakes that is your, I like it. In this case, both are true. Okay. I do love seasonal items. We shop at Chick. Uh, we shop at Trader Joe's. We shop at Chick Fil A for our groceries, <laughs> which maybe is true on some food. weeks. <laughs> but we also shop at Trader Joe's, and they offer seasonal products. And it is maybe one of my favorite things to walk in and not know what grocery items are available. Oh yeah, mm. that's good. I'm with you there. They have these Trader Joe's the pumpkin pancakes. Do you get the pumpkin pancake mix? I have. Oh. I have dumpster dived for the pumpkin pancakes in college. What? <laughs> New topic, please. <laughs> this, is, this is a very disturbing thing to me. I've never quite reconciled this. <laughs> Go ahead, Rachel. Tell them about I'm it. Up tell the story about, about this. this story. In college, it is a favorite pastime back in Michigan where there's nothing much to do in the winter months to dumpster dive at local restaurants, shopping stores, grocery stores. And I have dumpster dived, and there was a giant... Dumps, dumpster dove. Dumpster dove. <laughs> dumpster dove. It's been a while. And I found a giant garbage bag of Trader Joe's pancake mixes in their original boxes. So that's like double boxed. Wait, I don't I didn't know this part of the story. You found a trash can, like a trash bag full of these? Yes. Like not just one. Oh, we had like 40 of them. <laughs> We had Whoa. pumpkin pancake mix for days. Oh. <laughs> and if you're worried about sanitary issues, really, it is the most sanitary because what? it is the mix in a bag, <laughs> in this. a box, in a garbage bag, in a garbage container. Yeah, well, that's a lot of bagged. Do you have any clue as to why they were just thrown away? Were they expired? Nope. I think after they like don't sell on stock, or because they were seasonal, it might have been passed. Okay. Fall season. Okay. And so they probably just got rid of them. But the date on the box, they were still fine. Yeah. Now, the term dumpster dive, like in my mind, I picture, okay, you're literally, you know, maybe you're not diving, but you are inside of a big dumpster container. Yes. Is that it what's depended going on? on their locking mechanisms. <laughs> <laughs> but there were some circumstances in which, yes, mostly feet first. 
diving sure. felt very unreliable. You gonna, yeah, you never know. You yeah. would just climb over the top. In some cases, such as Krispy Kreme, they would leave the side unlocked, and so you could pull open the lock and then just walk in, reach in, and grab the bag, which was full of hot Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh, my goodness. Also do, a great pastime. Aaron, do you listen to this and you think... Wow, what am I missing out on? Or do you think this is maybe the most disgusting thing I've ever this heard? This is fascinating, Matt. It, the thing is that I don't know which side <laughs> I land on. I am so torn. It is, honestly. So I have long had an anti-dumpster diving stance. But the I don't think I was aware of the level of haul. Like to get 40 boxes. In bulk. Starts, the bulk. The bulk. Like you're not picking kind of, through things for one like untouched donut. You've just got boxes of untouched donuts. Exactly. Yeah. So it feels very safe and sanitary. Also, I would like to point out that I know Matthew has not always been an anti-dumpster diver. Would you care to share your story with the listeners? I have been an anti-dumpster diver. The only thing I once did was not diving into a dumpster. I ate a cinnamon roll off the top of a trash can. At Disneyland. It may have been half eaten, but the rest of it was delicious. It Talk was, about disgusting. It was not in the trash can. It was on top of the trash Someone can. Someone else's saliva was on the cinnamon they, roll. I, I am confident in assuming they did not lick the whole cinnamon roll. It How looked very confident untouched. are you? I'm quite confident. That. I'm not 100%. I can't be 100% because I don't know whose cinnamon roll it was. Oh. So, Aaron, if you had to choose between my version of dumpster diving and oh, Matt's. Man. I am not proposing what I did as a version of dumpster diving. Like, yeah, what would you call it? Um, it's got to it's got to be alliterative. Sort of just a general um, recycling refuse, food foraging, food food forage. <laughs> this is good. is good is good. But it's almost like the the cinnamon roll presented itself to you. So in a way, mm-hmm. uh, garbage gifting, garbage, Give, garbage gifting. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, this is. I'm going to have to process some of this, but this is very interesting. I I, I kind of love this, Rachel, and I also kind of don't. I don't know where I fall. You can think about it. Okay, thanks. I will. You, you, are you, do you do this still? Is this something you might still engage in? It's been in? many years. Yeah. Matt yeah. has curbed my dumpster diving okay. excitement. Well, we're That's all, good. I'm glad you're good for each other. We're all growing in that way. We're, we're all, all growing and changing. Wow, that was, uh, that was an I like it. The, yep. It took twists and turns I wasn't expecting. I, I wasn't either. Aaron, what's your, what do you like? My I like it is. This is something I, I think I've finally just put my finger on recently that I've actually liked for a very long time. So in the in the winter here, we start to get different. The weather changes a little bit, but we get this beautiful, magical, mystical thing. <laughs> You're both looking at me like, what's so great about it? I'll um, tell you. Yeah, I don't even know what it is yet. It's fog. Oh, yeah. I love fog. Now... Fog is da- can be dangerous, obviously, for for and it can be an inconvenience and it can delay flights and be dangerous and you know bad things can happen. But when I was a kid, I remember walking to school in the fog, mm. and I would be disappointed that once I got into the foggy part, I could still see things. <laughs> <laughs> you just expected it to remain a thick, dense. I expect yeah to just like envelop me, and I wouldn't be able to. It would be there's something. It's like it's a like makes you feel kind of powerless in a way. Like it's one of these things that you can't just turn on your windshield wipers or your headlights and then it's like fixed. Yeah, it's just it's there until it's gone and you just have to deal with it. So I love thick fog, um, and I remember walking to school and loving fog. We were I drove the kids to school and there's this beautiful fog. Oh, I went for a run the other night and uh-huh. it, after the it had gotten really foggy and the street lamps, you know, they like oh, cast yeah, yeah, this yeah. like you can see all the beams coming mm-hmm. through the trees and stuff. Like you're running through a Thomas Kincaid painting or oh, something. Oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> like the like the I'm not a huge like Star Wars person, but I remember in college anytime we saw fog, we would yell Dagobah system. <laughs> Is that a thing? Yes. Yeah. Well done. So it felt like it felt uh, felt very very fun and, and cool. And it's also it gets really quiet and still. Yeah. Fog fog is kind of like um like it's a very isolating thing. Like it kind of shrinks your world. Yeah. Like I sometimes think of like driving in heavy rain is that way or like when it snows, snow kind of tends to do that. Like it's, yeah. it quiets everything and it yep. makes you feel like it shrinks your world in a way. Yeah. Which is one of the magical things That's about a good it. observation. Yep. That's my I like it. I like fog, everybody. Have That's you uh, seen Frozen 2 yet? 
No, I have not seen it yet. Have you? We have, and there is magical fog and Frozen (gasps) 2. So I would highly recommend you take your children to go see Frozen 2. Hey, I don't know, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Not sold. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, that's my I like it. How about you, Matt? Okay, my I like it is far more stimulating and exciting, I think, than either of yours. Oh, it's, uh, wow. I really like email newsletters. <sighs> this, this has become, in the last year, one of my great joys is reading email newsletters. It's, a, it's an old medium, obviously, where people you would sign up for a newsletter and people would send you it via email. But it's had a real resurgence in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I find that this is for me, been one of the best ways for me, not necessarily to get news, although I do have a couple of kind of newsy digest ones, but to engage with new ideas. Rather, Basically, rather than going out and kind of searching for articles, I'm reading newsletters and getting kind of recommended. It is sort of like I have curated my own social media with people that I'm really a fan of um, and who can have longer form thought. So opposed to like, I could follow these same people on like Twitter or something like that, which I do. But instead of sort of just little bites, I get much more developed thoughts. And I, I love them. It's a greater level of commitment than just like following somebody on social media. That's true. You're, 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 you're taking that another step. Now give us some examples, Matt, of some newsletters that have you have found engaging. Because I'm having a hard time connecting with this. Sure. One. Okay. Um, well, I follow um, one author. One's an author. His name is Robin Sloan. He's probably my favorite author. Um, if you hang around me at any point and you start, we start talking about reading, I'll at some point mention Robin Sloan. He has done, uh, well, he did this in 2019, and actually the project's over now. He did what it's called the Year of the Meteor, and each week he sent out a newsletter, and it had sort of, he curated three pieces of art in it, so there was always kind of a visual thing. And they were always different, the kind of areas that he was interested in or that appealed to him. So one time it was these people who took toys and painted them like they were animated, like in the old Transformers uh, television show. So they looked like animation, but it was the way that this person actually hand-painted them. Other times it's more kind of classic fine art. It's all kinds of different things. And then mixed in there are just like things he finds interesting uh, so recommending a link or recommending an article. Sometimes it's something maybe that he's produced. Um, sometimes it's a reflection. He had a pretty lengthy kind of, a number of s- kind of series of shorter pieces of the newsletter that were all about um, licensing for books and how soon libraries, I know this is really only appealing to me. This isn't selling you. This is pretty dry. But how soon libraries could like have access to eBooks for patrons uh, and so there was really interesting things around accessibility for people who like use ebooks for um, because of various disabilities or needs. And so, anyway, that's that's that was one of my favorites. That was called Year of the Meteor. So it's kind of like if you were to go to his website. Yes. Yeah. But it, the website comes to you in a way. Yes. Or if you if he had a blog that you were good about visiting, it's kind of it's a like, little bit bloggy, but it's often like a lot of these. There, it's a little more patchwork than blog. It might be, like in a lot of newsletters, you might find there's like a chunk of blog and then there's all these kind of other things mixed around. That's one I follow. I get some NBA ones. True Hoop has a a really well-known newsletter if you're in the NBA world. (laughs) Um, What's the ratio? So on a blog, it's mostly someone's own content. In a newsletter, how often is it curated content that they've pulled from other things and are collecting in a newsletter versus their own content. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on the newsletter. Which do you prefer? Um, that's a good question. This is why she's here. Yeah. To ask the good questions. I think I, I always like, I always find it really interesting when people are recommending things. Uh, in part because that thing gives me, like I kind of think if, my email has now become like my primary like consumption hub. And so every time someone recommends something, it like sends me off on a path. And then mm. eventually I come back to that hub, which I really like more than other, other possible hubs like Facebook, I think. And part of it is I don't have an algorithm controlling the things that I see, right? I've really chosen. And so now almost... Or at every- least the person you 
yeah, the respect pers- has chosen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One yeah or the I, other. I have chosen to subscribe at some point to them because I'm like, I, I trust you. I'm sort of letting you into my inbox. And now I've curated that and it doesn't matter. Like Gmail isn't giving me, you know, oh, well, we think you'd really prefer huh. to see this email. Just doesn't work that way. You know, I, th- I think what, what, what we've got here is you like stuff that's curated by people and that's not true. by machine learning. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's really what you're saying. That's I mean, kind that's of interesting. Part of it. But um, 2020. I, I, 2020, a year of year. what? Not curated? Not, uh, not AI. AI out the window. Yeah, what we're it's realizing is this whole thing with all this social media here in 2020, hindsight is 2020. 20, that's, I think that's the best way to sum that's it up. That's the way to hindsight sum it up. Hindsight is 2020. Really, ultimately. Oh, I, knew it would, I knew it made sense. I knew it. This podcast brought to you by Galatians Grocers. Are you looking for fruit that goes beyond just the apple and pear? Come to Galatians Grocers and experience the fruit of the Spirit. We have apples of love, pears of joy, bananas of patience, and, of course, strawberries of righteousness. Only found at your local Galatian Grocers. Use promo code PaulineEpistle for 20% off your next order. Okay, welcome back. Thanks for um, patronizing our sponsors. We really appreciate that, everybody. We're so grateful. For our curious conversation today, we're not going to talk to Rachel just about milkshakes. We are also going to talk to her a little bit about calling. Yeah. Would you say that's true? I would say that's very true. Okay. So if you haven't listened to our episode with Q on calling, that might be a good kind of first place to start. We talked about calling in a number of ways. We talked about separating it from necessarily the work that we do. We talked about the idea that our fundamental calling is more a matter of identity than of things we do. And you, I think, referenced Beekner, as one much, of your favorites. As much as possible. This idea that uh, calling the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Right. Which is a really helpful definition, and we talked about that and explored that. So you can go back and hear that. I think we want to kind of continue a conversation today with Rachel, though, that explores what do you do when the world's deep hunger feels uh, incredibly expansive, like there's that hunger is extensive, um, and there's a hundred different ways that you could imagine meeting that deep hunger. Yes. Because the reality is uh, all of us are aware of ways that the world has needs. Uh, We're not all just sort of hyper aware of one need. And so the reason, in part, that Rachel, we thought to have Rachel on this episode is because of some of her story of moving to Sacramento in the first place was in part related to kind of searching out an area of need. So Rachel, maybe you can start. We can just hear a little bit of your story and we can kind of use that as a launching point. But you can tell us a little bit, like, how did you end up in Sacramento in the first place and what were you here kind of to do? You heard there were lots of Krispy Kremes. (laughs) And Trader Joe's dumpsters yeah, in town. Dumpsters. And I just felt the call. <laughs> <laughs> that was your deep hunger. Sorry, we're talking about the uh, world's deep hunger. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Rach. Uh, so I came out to California after I graduated from college. I went to Calvin College, now Calvin University in okay. Grand Rapids, Michigan. And it was my senior year. I was a business major, and there was obviously lots of conversations about calling and what that meant in terms of your future career and where you would live and how all of that was impacted by the decisions you would make. And so there was a group of friends and I who decided that we wanted to do something especially intentional, and rather than find a job that would satisfy the career needs we were looking for. We wanted to do something that was service-oriented, at least for a time being. So we wanted to basically move somewhere together and try to meet a need of a community or at least learn about a community that was different from the one we were living in. So we prayed a long time about it. We thought about multiple locations, and nothing kind of came to be until January before we were about to graduate. Uh, Josiah, one of the people who I ended up moving out here with, interviewed or met with Kevin Adams, who has Reverend been on Dr. this Kevin Adams, podcast frequent, before. Frequent guest, professional expert. 
And if anyone has met Kevin in person or talked to Kevin, he is a visionary type of person. And so came with Josiah to this idea of what it would look like to partner uh, with a group of post-grads and have them move out to California and then work in a low-income area of Sacramento as well. So the internship was kind of set up in this interesting way of we were going to serve in a suburban church in Lincoln at Granite Springs and then also live and work in urban Sacramento in a very low-income neighborhood. Yeah, that's great, which is what you ended up doing. Yes, and so then I moved out here with six other people in August of that year, and we committed to a year of intentional living and serving in all of these places. And when you came out here, did this feel to you like um, like a calling? Yeah, I think it developed into that. Okay. It felt like this is what we were committed to. And huh. I mean, in some ways we were naive and thinking that we could come somewhere and make any impact in a year. And then at the same time also realizing that I think we came in with the right mindset that we weren't coming here to be saviors and we weren't trying to come and fix everyone's problem. Um, Our hope was that it would be this almost long-term thing and that was probably where we were naive that that's a lot harder to do than it seems to be. Mm. Um, But I do think we came with kind of hearts and minds that we wanted to learn from a community and listen to what its needs were. I think maybe the timeline of that was even longer than we would have anticipated. Mm -hmm. And so while you were in this particular community, what kinds of things were you doing? How were you engaging with the community? What did that look like? Uh, So a huge part of what we were doing was we partnered with an existing nonprofit in the neighborhood that was hyper-local focus. So they worked exclusively with one apartment complex in Sacramento and tried to address the needs that were present there. And I think... We we can name that organization. Yes, it's called The Greenhouse, Yeah, uh, which we'll come back to later, I'm sure. Um, But at that point, it was really focused as an after-school program for kids in this neighborhood, especially um, through K through 5, and then also teens as well. But a huge focus on academic learning for the younger kids and then just being a presence in that neighborhood. So that was a huge part of it. We were all committed to volunteering at the greenhouse on a weekly basis and getting to know the needs of the community that way. And also our mentors really emphasized the strengths of the community and learning what those are. So uh, asset-based community development is a big trend these days. Okay, you got to tell us what that means, (laughs) (laughs) or at least in the broad strokes. So not a trend here. Um, So it is basically looking at a community and rather than saying here are all of the needs and the weaknesses that a community has, it's saying here are the strengths and how do we utilize those despite all the challenges that it may face from systematic institutionalism and all sorts of issues. How do we catch on to those strengths and develop those to make the community flourish. Well, that's an actually a really nice idea and applicable in probably all kinds of situations, like it could, for low income neighborhood for sure, but also for uh, kind of wherever you are in life, like look at what you've got to work Definitely. with and be resourceful with that instead of thinking about what you don't have. Yeah. And it's not ignoring that there are needs, but to say, what have we started with the positives and developed yeah. those instead mm-hmm. of let's come in and be saviors because here's the checklist of things that have problems and we'll fix them. Or what if we have solutions already within the community that we haven't found? Exactly. That kind of thing. So I want to go back and you made a comment earlier, sort of like the timeline was different than we thought. Uh, And both in terms of maybe you anticipated when you moved here that this could be potentially a longer term kind of thing, but also it it sounded like, like the nature of the work was going to, would require kind of longer term where you could just make less progress. So talk to me about um, like that, that feels like it all factors into like how you think about like your calling. Like if you come into something and you're like, I anticipate like God's called me here. I'm going to kind of make like this much progress and this much progress is meaningful. And then you make a quarter of that. Like how does that impact? How did you guys process that both together and for yourself over the year? How did, yeah. Act two. 
right? Kind of. Yeah, sort of now mm-hmm. you're here and it's like, okay, what does it, what does it actually mean? And is, as this looks different, how, what does that mean for my sense of calling? Yeah, so when we originally were talking and thinking about this, we were not the first ones to have ever thought about the idea of intentional community <laughs> as much as we would have loved to claim that as, you know, graduates of Calvin College. Sure. But the reality is is that people have done this for a long time. I mean, dating back to monasteries in the early times and till now. But I think what those models try to do is you move into a neighborhood and you're committed to it for 10, 20, 30 years Mm -hmm. and you are uh, just steady presence in that community. You are the reliable people who don't go anywhere. And so when we came out, even though it was only a year internship, I think we all had hopes that in some sense it would become that. And that's a lot harder to do in reality. I think Mm -hmm. um, it was harder than we thought to, I think, dig down roots and be unselfish. Eventually, we all get pulled in different directions. Yeah. Whether it be careers or love or you just don't want to be here because this is hard. We experienced all three of those and more. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, I think we were just probably naive to think that in a year we would be even like the basic roots of that kind of community and that that was an easy thing to foster. And would you say like, as you kind of began, as those things became evident, some of the challenges, uh, did that sort of, it's like, oh, well, maybe this isn't our calling for this year. Like maybe we got it wrong or was it in fact, no, like we remain kind of confident. Yeah, there were definitely times where we thought we got it wrong. Yeah. And that we were wondering why we felt called out here at all to begin with. Mm. Um, I mean, we went through, like I said, all sorts of things in terms of people left. And we went through our own ups and downs and our own experiences of feeling either like we were making the community too dependent on us or that we really weren't making an impact at all. Because in reality, you can only affect a small number of people and your vision is kind of like being this community right stable piece over 40 years and so you're you want to be that but we would have like parties with five people and that was like a success in Mm. like this grand scheme of things but in a year that feels small sure and I think, I mean, speaking from some conversations we've had, though, like you, you still look back at that and you don't think, oh, that was a waste of a year. Like that still feels like uh, it was maybe different than what you thought or different than what you anticipated, but it still feels like something you were kind of called to do in some sense. Or am I, am I getting that wrong? No, that's right. I mean, I think that's where the tension comes in. Yeah. Selfishly, I would say that my experience in that year... I would never take away because I think I personally developed in significant ways and grew in my faith and understanding of what service and mission looks like. But I don't know if that's a selfish thing to say that it was good for everyone else because there, I mean, the reality is that most of us all but one uh, did leave that community after a year and like there are ramifications for that. And so it's almost like, did we do more harm than good? Hmm. And that's a hard thing to grapple with. Yeah. Wow. So maybe if that was act two, there's act three to your story, which is the year ended, which is what you just alluded to. And so we we won't go person by person and work out what they did, but you, you leave. Let's give them a call right now. (laughs) Let's let's get them on the line. (laughs) Caller number five, you're on. Um, but you, you decided to make a transition and you moved up this way, actually, to Roseville. And that... Uh, a more suburban environment. Yes, yeah, significantly different environment. And you kind of continued to be engaged in ways in the greenhouse for a season. But eventually, as you got full-time work, that wasn't possible anymore. Um, like, talk about the tension that you felt in that season, sort of transitioning as you kind of 
that so like I kind of see like there's an interesting trajectory here of sort of a sense of calling, um, the reality being very different than what you felt you were being called to, wrestling on what that what that means, what that looks like, then concluding a season, and now you're in a very different space, but still kind of have the your values haven't fundamentally changed from when you initially felt the sense of calling. Have they? No, I don't think so. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but good question. Uh, yeah, it was very difficult to move up into Roseville because in reality it is only 20 minutes away from Sacramento and I think when we are living in Sacramento the distance that was felt by a lot of people between the two we kind of rolled our eyes at um, because we worked at the church up here in Lincoln and people would say oh that's too far like I can't come and volunteer and we would roll our eyes because we did the drive all the time Mm -hmm. and it felt like very doable and that people were just giving excuses. Uh, but then I moved up here and it does feel like a world away. Like you can easily make it feel like a different space. Right. Um, so I think I felt a lot of guilt for leaving, especially because I was in that context. One, I had this hope that I would be there longer. And then two, I did see the negative impact of people who would come and serve for a season and then leave because we were working with kids and kids get attached to people and to things and especially in environments where their lives and their families are unstable. uh, The hope is that the volunteers are that kind of stable presence. So then to be, to see people leave and then to be that person who left, I think I felt a lot of guilt in. So it was a hard, it was a hard transition for me. Can can I, I feel like this, this is um, this part of your story, especially Rachel is, should be, I think, compelling to any Christian anywhere ever who is comfortable in their life, mm-hmm. which is, so now there's, now I think the tension could translate to something even bigger, which is we are seek like sort of as, as 21st century Americans, we seek, you know, as middle class, we're, you know, white people, we, we seek and are usually able to attain some level of comfort in life. But the, what the gospel is calling us to do is be very uncomfortable with our life and to kind of feel, I, I don't know that we're, we're driven to be guilty, but as gospel followers, we're supposed to be thinking about um, about people who need us like constantly. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, there's like, you have this kind of amazing, this part of your story is an amazing microcosm for how all, all of us Christians, and especially I... I can't be too harsh with my words because I'm a white suburban Christian, a suburban church, and I'm living a, a comfortable life. But any of this could come crashing down anytime. So, <laughs> like maybe if that happens, maybe we'd that's say a whole, hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole different conversation, maybe. But um, the idea is we should be we should have love and compassion and action for these for these people like constantly, but we don't. Yeah, and I I hear that question all the time with people I have conversations with up here, back in college. Like this isn't this isn't the first time that people are discussing this, but it is a real tension. Like how do you reconcile I really genuinely felt like I was meant to move up to Roseville. I married Matt. I got more involved at Grant Springs. Oh, congratulations, you guys. Oh, thanks. Oh, thank you. <laughs> like, there was lots of things that I felt like this was where I was supposed to be. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. Like, gospel orientation. Like, I had just spent my last, like, two years preaching. Like, like serve the poor. Be with the poor. Like, be near brokenness. Yeah. Like, be attuned to that. Give your time to that. And then... And then you're like, adios. Yeah. I know. I feel you. Yeah. So, um... You, you have been in this area for a while. Uh, I'm curious just, and maybe the answer isn't necessarily like sort of reconciling perfectly this tension. In fact, I think maybe from what Aaron's saying too is the tension is like really appropriate. We should be feeling almost like a holy restlessness always. But how have you, there's, there's a point to that where that, that becomes unmanageable. <laughs> and so how have you kind of processed this through time? Yeah, I think that tension in some part is healthy insofar as we know we are first loved by God without having to do things, which I think is for a long time how I interpreted my relationship with God was this need to perform or provide 
value or service by doing something. And so I think if you can grow beyond that probably unhealthy relationship, then I think that tension is good. Like we are supposed to be near to the broken parts of the world and renewing it and redeeming it, but we cannot do it all. And I think Mm -hmm. it can be very easy to feel the weight of the world. Um, And at times that can almost be paralyzing to the point where you just, yeah, we hole up in our suburban life because we can't fix all the problems. And even thinking about fixing all the problems is too much for us. Um, So I do think God calls us to specific needs and specific things in different seasons. And we need to be in touch with our community and our friends and the spirit and scripture and figuring out what that is in different seasons and to not put too much weight on ourselves if that changes. Because I think it looks different when you get a full-time job and it looks different if you have kids and if you move or whatever that may be. I think we need to have a little more grace for each other while also encouraging each other to pursue that like one thing that maybe for us in this season we are capable of doing. Whether that's serving weekly or whether that's giving money or whether that's supporting someone else who is doing those things because you can't do those things right now. Like there are many, many ways to be involved. And when you're saying those things, you're meaning... Wait. Go ahead. That was amazing. That was truly beautiful. I'm just used used to it because I live with this, Aaron. I get this every day. Get this deep insight. Just wake up to it. No, no, you're dreaming about last night, she says. You're numb to her wisdom. What a tragedy. I'm not not numb to it. I'm blessed by it. You're blessed by it. You've come to, it's come to be part of your life. It doesn't take me aback. I'm just like, give me more. I'm ready to ask more. Uh, Rachel, I'm sorry it took so long to have you on. (laughs) That was great. That will be the, that will be what I put music under on this episode. Oh, nice music! Yeah, music. yeah. I was just curious. I was going to ask when you say those things. Are you meaning specifically, kind of, um, in terms of orientation towards uh, the poor and kind of concrete needs, or like the vulnerable that maybe Scripture talks about, widows, orphans, you know, immigrants, these kinds of people, or are, when you say those things, do you like what? What do you mean? I do think we are all called in some sense to yes, reach out and care for the vulnerable of the world. Um, and that's not to discount being there for your friends or your church community in the suburbs. I think all of those things are important and that is a lot of giving of yourself too. Um, and that is major service, but I do think that in some way we need to be, connected to those broken parts and the gap that we are a part of in terms of the people who have and power and who have the responsibility to change circumstances for those who don't have access to power right now. And again, that goes back to the community asset thing. Like it's not necessarily that these people have less or have something that we have something they don't and that we need to provide for them but we have the power to change systems and to change these things that are impacting them and like that is our gift right now and so being in the suburbs like we do have power that those people don't have access to so that can be our service and our mission this is she did it again (laughs) This is really interesting to me. So like putting this with our previous conversation about calling, um, we are, this conversation feels like it's layering on. And I don't know if I expected it to go this way, but sort of uh, an orientation that we need to have within the things that we do, right? So it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be everyone's sort of primary orientation. But if calling is sort of... um, something that we do that we are called by God, right? There's a caller. We are the called, um, something that we do to bring redemption to the world. Then part of what scripture is instructing us and what Rachel's reminding us is that there, there has to be some layer 
whether it's the thing that we're called to do, it, like is being a successful business person. And so through that, like our orientation towards the poor and vulnerable can be financially supporting people or whether it is, but that, but that this is actually a really important layer of any sense of calling. Does that seem right to you guys? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So full circle, I am now on the board of directors for the greenhouse, which is very exciting uh, to be a part of that mission in a new way, but just seeing how literally that organization could not operate if it were not for like thousands of donors and corporate sponsors and businesses, people who have money and power choosing to give to this organization. Like it would not operate. And so I don't necessarily, I don't want to say, yay, like there's a gap. That's exciting. But I do think there is like, yeah, there is a gift that those people can give to organizations like this and nonprofits all over the place. Mm -hmm. And they have a unique relationship. And if we can listen more to each other and be more attuned, I think those can work out really well. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think, Aaron? So we have. Um, yeah, I just thought that was really well said. I don't have anything to add to that. This whole question of calling, one of the tensions of calling is that our calling is never resolved. Just be, like in that there's always there's always need yes. in the world. And so there's sort of a holy restlessness or there's sort of an ongoing creativity with which. So sometimes I think people talk about calling. It's like work it out and then you've got it worked out. You just do it. Yeah. But I think some of what this conversation is reflecting is like, well, Rachel, you said there are seasons and so that might change. And even the ways that we engage the thing that we're doing needs to be kind of creatively revisited and rethought through yeah. kind of over and over. So you don't, you don't stop. In other words, and it makes sense really if we think about this relationally with God. It's not like we would say like, okay, like get, get sort of your voicemail from God and then just go. We would yeah. say like the phone, like keep that phone line active, right? Yeah. And as you do things. Yeah. We will, we will never, we will never, there's no real end game for us on this earth. Like we mm. are called to continually renew. That's, this is a great idea. I think Matt, we're called to continually renew it. But if we, if we zoom out, this is where I've been. I think I've been too far zoomed out is that I long so much for everything to be made right. Well, that's not going to be possible for any of us in yeah. this room to do. So we, if we can find our place and our time to do what we are called to do in the in those in that place and time. Well, maybe that's maybe that's our calling for that season of our lives. And we and I should just, <laughs> yeah. And it's up to us to restore and renew what we are capable of restoring and renewing um, in our world. And if yeah. we all did that, I do feel like there's we get pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the tensions. Like we're always we like we're called to simultaneously be zooming out. Where like we should be anticipating and uh, looking forward and hoping for this final resolution, which then ironically sometimes makes us long deeper. It makes the current feel hopeless, and then at the same time, like that, like that's a part of our calling. Like waiting in anticipation is a calling, but then at the same time, we are also called to concretely be active. And even as we are called to be doing something right now, we might also be called to rethink the thing we're doing for tomorrow. Listeners, it's twenty twenty. It's a new year. You could be thinking about what your calling is. What do you think? Is this a good invitation? New think, Year's resolution. Yeah, yeah a new but we, but we got we got to juice it up. New Year's calling. New Year's. New Year. Oh, I got it. Hindsight, twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to work out how you're going to get there. My last question was going to be. Uh, uh, Rachel, a senior year Rachel comes to you now and says... This is 22-year-old Rachel? Yeah, this is 22-year-old Rachel. And yeah. she says, like, what should I do to address the world's greatest needs? Like, I, I see these needs out there. Um, what, what should I do? I feel called in all these ways. How, how should I think about that? What, how would you advise 22-year-old Rachel? Um, I would say move to a place where there are lots of dumpsters so you can <laughs> dumpster dive well. Uh, I think I've been struck by this as, as well as many other people. There's a book that recently came out called The Next Right Thing. And if you go see Frozen 2, this is a common theme. Oh, it is actually. In The Next Right Thing. And that is sometimes how you 
move yourself out of grief, out of guilt, out of being stuck is looking at where you are. And yes, rather than zooming out and saying, okay, what do I want for the next 30 years of my life? And how am I going to get from here to there in the next five decisions I'm going to make? It's saying, okay, what do I, what makes sense for the next thing? And how do I do that well? And there's probably not a perfect answer, hmm. but how do I pick wisely and discern that with as much wisdom and encouragement and community involvement and, and prayer? Rachel, thank you so much for being our guest today. This was really good. I really feel, uh, I don't know, empowered? Hmm. Honestly, like this has been really helpful for me. Thank you for having me. It is not always an easy thing to remember even for myself as I process these things. So to do it with others is always a gift. Anything you want to plug before we say goodbye? Check out the greenhouse. Oh, oh, yeah. Let's go ahead. They're a pretty great organization. And Is there a website people can go to? Yeah, we'll provide a link uh, on our Facebook page. Okay. I just think they are doing amazing things within their local community and really helping it flourish with its strengths. You know, who else is doing amazing things is uh, me with my Psalms album. So (laughs) go ahead and check that out. That's AaronAntoneMusic.com or... Have a seat music.com. They'll both get you there. I'm on Spotify and things, and uh, I'm still happy with that album and I'm still plugging it. That's great. And honestly, people, if you went and listened to that album, you would think, why in the world have I not listened to this before? And I would just say to you, hindsight is 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, listeners. Uh, and we'll see you next time. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. I'm Rachel. Thanks for being curious with us. 